Good morning. Good morning. What an awesome time already in worship, and I want to thank uh, uh, Bill and Pat and Robin uh, for helping us to pray for, for needs in a sweet time this morning. Um, I just want to, uh, again, remind you that May 18th and 19th, Friday evening and Saturday through early afternoon at Camp War Eagle, Camp War Eagle, I did that again, Eagle Rock, Missouri, at uh, Eagle Rock Retreat Center, um, we are having a, a ministry focus a weekend, if you will. Uh, it is it is just a suggested donation of fifteen dollars to help with three meals, five dollars a meal for anybody eighteen and older. Everyone else is free. Starting Wednesday night, I will have a paper sign-up sheet on the information table, and you need to sign up with names and ages of everybody that you have going in your group, so we can plan better for that. Uh, we're going to focus a lot on hospitality and a lot on children's ministry, but it doesn't matter where your area of focus or where you might, if you don't even have an area of focus, but you know you want to be involved in ministry. There's plenty of opportunity, so please don't miss out on that. It, it, it is purposefully, um, I, the barn houses are not here to smile at me when I explain this. So, so when I grew up in Nebraska, we had family camp, and you stayed in either cabins or different things with family. Um, there is a reason why we're doing this in the environment we are and not going to a hotel with a lot more expense. It's not because of the expense for the church, but uh, also for our folks. And we're trying to drive a spirit of servanthood here. And so um, the idea is go out in nature and there's cabins. Some of them will be bunk houses with, uh, there'll be cabins with uh, twin beds. We'll bring on linens. Uh, they'll be cooking for us. We'll have a bonfire Friday night, and then there'll be focus sessions on ministry. Um, so you will need to uh, bring uh, twin uh, mattress uh, covers. So we'll put ladies in one uh, cabin area and, and men in another. Um, and I know that may be different for some, but if you were here about a year ago when I preached a three-month sermon on community, there's no better place to start getting to know each other than when you bunk together, right? And so um, we're going to do it that style, and this is a real focus on ministry. And uh, I, I can promise you this, you won't regret coming. If you don't have the $15 a person, it's a suggested donation. In fact, we aren't even collecting advance. There'll be a box there. You'll drop it in. We only know who contributed who didn't. Just, um, uh, Ken, I will not allow you to sit there and watch the box to see who's donating, write names down. Handing out demerits. No, it's we want you to come. We don't want the money to be an issue. That's the deal. But it, it certainly does help if you have it to help with the meals. But otherwise, we're, we're planning on that. So May 18th and 19th. Um, also, ladies Bible study again uh, Tuesday night. Hey, I want to tell you, we got 168 or 69 feet of uh, sidewalk poured yesterday. Amen. Um, it was, amen. It was a 6 a.m. to 10.30 p.m. type of day on Friday, and uh, not so bad yesterday, but uh, um, some of us were worn a little thin, and so, including myself, I had to go around ma uh, making some apologies because I'm human, and I was getting pretty frustrated by the days done. So um, pray for us. If you're able to help, there's still plenty of sheetrock to be done, and, and if we get enough people out there, we break into teams. Um, also, uh, we'll be setting forms tomorrow morning for another 200 stretch of uh, uh, sidewalk. There's 576 feet total to pour. We'll be setting those forms and then Tuesday morning trying to call in for the concrete and, or call in in advance and pour on Tuesday morning trying to beat some rain. So if you're available. Now, this next stretch of sidewalk, the importance of that is it acts as curb for the parking lot. As soon as we finish that Tuesday morning and that sets up, they can begin doing our uh, uh, gravel and asphalt in the parking. 
and finally be done with a lot of that mud. So it is a big deal, and then that also marks the end of probably most of the engineering side of things where we have to make sure everything's on the mark and all that. It'll be down to some landscaping outside, seeding, grass, sod, that kind of thing, and then everything else will be interior. So uh, be praying. If you can't make it, if you don't have this, the strength to do physical things, then just be praying, and that is, is, that is most helpful. Uh, but we sure can use the help. And this, uh, again, is a MAPS project, so the RVers that are here, wave at us. They're staying in their rigs away from the comforts of a, of a, a standard home and their uh, and motor home. And so uh, they are not here to build the church for us, but to build it with us. And that is part of the motto that they tell us when we sign up for it is they're here to build it with us. So thank you to Ken and others who came out long hours on, on uh, Friday and on Saturday. All right. Well, I, I don't want to run too short on time because uh, I will tell you, you can think that uh, one of our viewers, Tony, uh, had a little talk with me yesterday because it was all over me, the stressed outness, and it was starting to come out. You know, I, I don't know what, but it just accumulation of a lot of time. And Friday, I had that um, actually, no, Saturday, yesterday, I had to leave the project for a little bit in the middle of things just to, to get my, so I knew, I said, I'm, I'm at, the fuse was getting short. I was about to go and I was like, this is the first time I've had to do this, but I had to jump in the church van that was out there and take a drive. And I came and whined to Nathan and my wife uh, before men's Bible study. And so, um, look, I'm just sharing the human side of things. Uh, your pastor is human and uh, uh, have a sinful nature I have to fight as well. And I'm thankful for those who give wise counsel. And so Tony was one of the last ones of the day to try to give me some counsel. And I was still in that mode. I was like, yeah, but. What you're saying is right, but yeah, but. It doesn't help the way I feel. And... Uh, but, you know, when, when the Lord is using you and you're giving wise counsel, wise counsel, it's like I've told you before when we were doing a focus on the Holy Spirit, you can confidently tell people that you will not be able to go laying your head down tonight without thinking about those words. Because when it's not your words and the Holy Spirit's words, they will not return void and they will keep speaking. And so I had planned another two weeks on a spiritual emphasis of uh, spiritual warfare that we've been on. And then Mother's Day changed it up. And Tony's responsible for now the next three-week series, and I'll let you decide whether you want to thank him or, or otherwise. <laughs> so let me get to the real opener. You know, Mother's Day is coming up, and uh, I, I have been at home with my boys before and Jen when she's sick and all. And, you know, before that sometimes I'm thinking, Jen, boy, if you had to go deal with things I had to do, you know, you get to stay home. Well, all those guys have had the mistake of thinking that before, right? Until you stay at home with the kids. And then you start thanking the Lord that you leave the house and go, you know, love my kids. But there's a whole new set of challenges staying home with the kids. And you can see it all over their face when you get home at the end of the day. And uh, so, um, but some of the things is, is because us guys, well, some of us have stronger stomachs, what? but we don't like to deal with all the messes they deal with, right? Uh, diaper changing stages, the sick, the vomiting, all that. Now, I'm going to stop here for a minute and talk to us a little bit about the, the difference between being vulgar or gross and just being undignified, okay? Today, I'm going to be undignified. I'm not going to be vulgar or gross, just undignified. It's going to mess with the people who have finally felt like they've arrived and we don't talk about uh, bathrooms or things like that. Because from Scripture, we're going to find that there is some talk about uh, one of those things we don't like to talk about, dung, right? And, and I, I will tell you, since Andrew's in this service, I've told this story before, but, you know, before I left for the Navy for three months, I lived with Jim and Judy, and Andrew was in diapers. And part of my responsibility was to stay there during the day while they're at work and take care of him or take him to daycare on those days. And, um, you know, I think it was one of the first major dirty diapers that came along. 
and it was starting to come out the tops, and I'm like, I am not touching that or going anywhere near that. <laughs> and I, I'm hoping it was summer. I can't remember the temperature outside, but I took him outside, grabbed the tabs on that diaper, let it fall to the ground, grabbed the water hose, and hosed, the, hosed him off. And then I think I told Judy that she can retrieve the diaper. That's her, her thing when I go home. Uh, anyway, uh, but, you know, I thought I was signing up for, um, you know, Andrew, you can tell by Easton, he was a cute baby. You know, he was a cute baby. And so I was a single guy at the time. I thought, you know, what this is going to help me do is go to the Woodland Hills Mall in Tulsa. And, uh, you know, you get a lot of attention from the girls or the ladies when you have a cute baby like that, right? And, uh, but I didn't think I was signing up for when nobody's watching, I'm having to change the dirty diapers. Well, we're going to do a little mini-series for the next three weeks, including uh, Mother's Day. And i got to tell you, I'm very excited about Mother's Day because of the way this shaped up and where the Lord's leading it. But today we're going to talk about praising God when facing the dung of life. Praising God when facing the dung of life. If you want to turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 12. My mom was in first service. You think about trying to break open that sermon about talking about poo when your mom's in there. And you can't even say C-R-A-P around her because that's just as bad as any other four-letter word in my mom's house. So that was uh, interesting trying to get past that. I had to draw her in a couple times. She, I was losing her. <laughs> Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. While you're turning there, uh, to Nehemiah chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. There is an uh, uh, elderly kind preacher that was conducting a wedding for a, a young couple just starting out. They were just madly in love, starry-eyed. And he, he got the young man aside after the wedding and said, Young man, um, I just want you to know that you're at the end of your troubles. Well, a year passed by, and the young man came back, and he's frank. He said, this has been one of the hardest years of my life. You said I was at the end of my troubles. He said, yes, I did. I just didn't tell you at which end you were at. <laughs> so he, he was at the beginning of his troubles. Well, that's not a hit against uh, our wives. It's just that any kind of lifelong commitment like that is going to come with its challenges. And listen, when you commit to Christ, we mistakenly sometimes tell people that their life is going to be better meaning their life here truth is the better the life that's going to be better is eternity the life here has just you're at the beginning of your troubles and, and that's not to, to discourage anyone who are making a decision to follow christ the, the truth is is the kind of troubles you endure as a believer though are are the troubles of what it takes to gain victory whereas the troubles of the non-believer are destruction and damage and uh, broken relationships and so there are many things about life that no one told us about that would be hard. I, I mistakenly thought because I grew up as a pastor's kid and I had served under other pastors that I already, and then I was a manager at Walmart over a team, I thought I can lead a church. I know what it is to be a pastor. Nope, I found out. Until you wear the hat, there's no way. And I make the mistake often of trying to help people understand what I'm going through in, in trying to get a little free counseling from y'all. And, and my previous um, pastor that was here told me, so there's no use in doing that because it's just like a dad trying to tell mom what it's like to be a mom or dad and vice versa. No one can tell you what it's like to, be, to have the responsibility that you have. No one can assume they know. And where we often make this mistakes is trying to assume that we know what someone else's trials and troubles are like. You'll, you'll never know until you fit that role. I cannot tell you what it would be like to be Doug Clay who is now the, the top leader over the Assemblies of God. And I would be foolish to try to say because I pastor a church, I understand what Doug Clay goes through. 
I wouldn't. It'd be like someone who works at Walmart home office saying they understand what it's like to be Doug McMillan. And, and it's not about hierarchy. I, I could say, if I try to say I would, no, I've taken out my trash plenty of times. I know what it's like to be a trash man. I guarantee you don't. I guarantee you don't when you're a little bit late getting their trash or whatever and you deal with the customers on that. I, I've worked at two places in my life or career that I thought were where people got the angriest. I worked at banks and I worked in a cell phone company. And those are two things people get the most anger about when they don't work right, their money or their cell phones. But then I found out pastoring, there's a whole other set of rules there. But anyway, but in today's message, we're going to look at Nehemiah, uh, the story of Nehemiah, a little different angle. See, I, I've preached on Nehemiah many times, but I've never looked at this particular text as far as for a teaching point. But we're going to look at Nehemiah's response of praise to the difficulties of life, the dung of life. And since my mom's not in this service, and I'm just a little rough around the edges, the crappy things in life, right? All right, I'm losing some already. I'm getting the look, so I better go on. All right, well, in our text, it says, verse 27, At the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, the Levites were sought out from where they lived and were brought to Jerusalem to celebrate joyfully. And they were brought there to celebrate joyfully the dedication with songs of thanksgiving, with the music of cymbals and harps and lyres. The musicians were also brought together from different regions, and I'm not going to mention all the names there, but they were brought there uh, uh, to build villages for themselves around Jerusalem. Verse 30, when the priests and Levites had purified themselves ceremonially, ceremonially, they purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Verse 31, I had the, and this is now first person, Nehemiah, I had the leaders of Judah go up on the top of the wall. I also assigned two large choirs to give thanks. One was to proceed on top of the wall to the right, listen to this, toward the dung gate. Verse 40, the two choirs that gave thanks then took their places in the house of God. So I, so did I, together with half the officials. And on that day they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced, and the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard from far away. What are they celebrating about? What is this facing the dung gate? What is that anyway? Well, they didn't have porta potties back then, and they didn't have plumbing. And if you go back far enough, they didn't even have anything inside. Is basically everything got carted out a gate, the dung gate. It was also the only entrance out of 11 uh, to Jerusalem that went to the main area of worship because like a butcher shop where they're butchering animals, you'd have certain things discarded left over from that that you didn't want rotting inside the city walls. And so if you remember when we preached about hell recently, we talked about the, the, the reference, the name Gehenna was talking about this valley where all these dead animals, these sacrifices, possibly even people that were dead that didn't get a normal burial. Um, There's a lot of things going out there, trash and the dung was all being burnt and a horrible stench and smell. Why would Nehemiah form two choirs and send one of them to face that gate? That's what we're going to look at. The title of this message is Praising God While Facing the Dung of Life. So, let's this background. Israel had come from captivity. Uh, Nehemiah had been serving a leader that he basically asked his boss, Hey, the Jerusalem walls, it's breaking my heart. They're in ruin. I want to go and I want to uh, rebuild the walls. This was a lawless time in that area where they'd been attacked over and over, so they had to build with a sword in hand. I mean, this is intense. 
And, and you know, I, I'm glad that I don't have to be out here on the project trying to pour concrete and have a pistol on me the whole time, watching as we're, you know, shoveling gravel and looking out for the bad guys. So this is a, a, a hard, hard situation. And they made three efforts to reestablish the city of Jerusalem, and this is the first one that really succeeded. So they had a lot of reason to rejoice and, and rejoicing in all God had done. And so Nehemiah gathers people for, uh, and, and forms them in two processions, one led by himself and the other led by the priest Ezra. So Nehemiah and Ezra, Ezra had been released. They had been in captivity as well. And none of us really know what that would be like if we were to all of a sudden have an invasion in the United States, all of us be taken captive. Say all the Christians taken captive, right? And, and now it's like 70 years later, we finally get to go back to our hometowns. Can you imagine being, I mean, I'm 70 years old and today's standards, I'd be gone. But my kids, my boys are 11 years old. Can you imagine at 81 years old, they finally return to their homeland, come back to home and things are in ruins you know you watch a house that sits abandoned very long and the critters and everything get in there my sister julie to have a beautiful home that's not an old home i mean very beautiful big home and she was posting pictures recently about a squirrel that had chewed through their wood siding chewed through the insulation chewed through the drywall and poked his head inside now this is a nicely built you know fairly expensive home this isn't like, oh, they didn't keep their home up. I mean, this is like a rabid squirrel or something. Somebody left their drugs on the ground and the squirrel got hold of it. I don't know. <laughs> I, I see those commercials. And I really do think squirrels go off the side of the road after they almost cause you to do an accident and they're like high-fiving. Like, yeah, eventually we'll get rid of all them and then the roads will be ours. <laughs> this is for all our down brothers. You know, that's what they're doing. <laughs> I always used to tell the kids, they'd see something down the road, I was like, oh, they're just sleeping. I said, you see that leg sticking up? That's actually them waving. <laughs> well, anyway. But do you remember the day Jesus set you free? I mean, the closest we can get to knowing what they must have been going through is in that internal battle is, is about as intense. Is as intense. And so when we get set free from, from uh, the wages of sin, right? We get set free and no longer have a death sentence over our head, then, then maybe that we'd understand. But God got, got in the back safely Israel, but a 900-mile journey. Now, I've done 900 miles on a motorcycle, and you can't hardly walk when you get off that. So can you imagine 900 miles when you didn't have motorized vehicles? Let alone, they weren't let out of captivity with, here's some nice horses that will carry you. They might have some donkeys. So, I mean, this is, this is a time to rejoice because they're finally back home. Huge journey. Probably lost people they loved along the way. And, and they're going to this place where there's no good roads, no law enforcement. Bandits roam the area, robbing the travelers. And God had kept them safe through all that. So they had reason to rejoice. And just before this celebration, they had completed the walls on top of that. Listen, they probably didn't even have time to do cleanup. It's like, you know, they're doing drywall in there. Fast and Furious, the crew we got, they're going, and they're getting these piles of the scrap, right? Which they remind me all the time. You're going to haul this off? You're going to haul I was like, yeah, I'm going to haul it off. But uh, they don't believe me, I don't think. But anyway, you know, they get this. And so here's the, the walls are going up, and they're getting the drywall on. We're getting ready. And there's still remnants of, there's still remnants of them not being completed there, reminding, you know, that, hey, 
that that's what it, that's what's left. And and in this case, the walls have been broke down. They had to tear more apart, and so they've got all the rubble and stuff still around. So there's a visible reminder of how bad things were, and so they're really feeling it. It's just like I was feeling the service today, and we're singing that song again, where it says, uh, uh, "If I were to give up, I'd be a fool." And when I was feeling, you know, times of wanting to give up, and I'm singing this morning, saying, "Yeah, that would be foolish after what God has done." God helped them to do it in just 52 days. Our church got framed up in 55 days. I, I, I thought that was amazing with volunteers. Previously, while building the temple, God had given a vision to Zechariah of an endless supply of oil being poured out on those doing the work. And, and as I began to prepare this and, and, and change directions on this, I, I started thinking about the fact that when we're out there and we're weary and we're tired and Ken was out there long hours and, and you feel the muscles hurting, that, that it's different than we're going out here and digging ditches for the city or digging to build a McDonald's or a Walmart. We're out there building the kingdom of God. That building is not the kingdom of God, but it is the tool being used to change lives. And so literally the anointing of God is being poured out upon us because the things that we get done for un- people that don't do it all the time is amazing. And this is the picture they got done to look back and say, look what God has done. Not what we have done, but what God has done. So in response, that's why Nehemiah divided the people and sent them off to worship on top of the wall in two directions. But one in the direction of the dung gate? Really? There's 11 gates, I believe. Let's look at some of the names of the, of the different gates. I mean, the king's gate. That would be a good one to worship towards. Let's worship the king at the king's gate. If we were doing it, that's probably what we'd do. If we had a gate, you know, for the new church that was the king's gate, let's worship the king of kings at the king's gate. And then, and then there's the beautiful gate. I mean, a gate called beautiful, that would be a good place to worship the Lord towards. The sheep gate. Hey, we're just a flock going to worship at the sheep gate. The fountain gate. And on and on. But Nehemiah and God said this, those gates are glorious but I want you to even worship me at the dung gate. You see, we, we, we often, in the United States, the way our prayers may go is, is, Lord, take this trial from me. We talked about that before. Take this trial from me. But, but yesterday I had to be reminded, it's not about taking the trial from me. I made the comment, if this thing goes on six more months, I don't know if I'm going to still be here. Not like I'd leave you, but I mean like leave you. <laughs> you know, like, like I might be in the grave if this thing goes another six months. I, I'm a little dramatic, okay? I was having a dramatic moment. You, you got to say it bigger than it really is so it feels better, right? But we often pray those things like, God, take this from me, when really the right prayer is, God, give me the strength to endure. Give me the strength not to just make it by the skin of my teeth. I won't come out the victor. I, I want to get that charge of you give me a service where I feel like kicking the devil in the tail, you know? Or, or maybe kicking him in the teeth. I don't know. But I get these visuals of just, I'm going to wail on him, you know. And we don't do it physically. But in the spiritual world, I just know that sometimes when we do that and we feel that charge up our spine, like all of a sudden God took the weariness and he just straightened us right back up. It's like you know that was a big old sock to the enemy. The Holman Bible Dictionary says this gate was used for the disposal of refuge, garbage, and dung, human dung. They had no sewage pipes. If you look on the internet, you can look at ancient uh, Israel when they finally started trying to get some kind of bathroom thing in the city. They did upgrade to finally these stone 
uh, circle places you squat or sat on, you know, and then it had a place that just right in the open, not, not an enclosure, but it just dropped into a channel and then they washed water and it went out the dung gate then. And that, that was the next big upgrade. So, so it, it stunk. It was not a place. There's no partitions, you know. Uh, I'm sure you guys would think I missed something. If you go into the bathrooms, right, ladies in the new church are like, there's no partitions in here? Oh, yeah, well, you know, we came down to budget, and that was one thing we thought we could do that. <laughs> well, I thought you were doing a good job, but now you fail, <laughs> right? But they didn't have that. It led to the Valley of Hinnom, the place of Baal worship too, idol worship and human sacrifice. So not only was this the stuff that nobody wants to touch or smell or anything, but this was a significant direction because it was the opposite direction of worshiping God. And it was like Nehemiah was saying, you know what? There is going to be no place in which we will not worship the Lord. It doesn't matter if it's the worst place in the world we're going to worship him. It doesn't matter if I've lost my job. It doesn't matter if I've lost my loved one. It doesn't matter of anything. You know, we, we are so uh, trying to hang on to the things of this world, the temporary things, that, that we, we are sorrowful when we lose anything that's temporary. But we need to realize it's the eternal that matters. Over and over again, I'll say it's the eternal that matters. Sometimes God calls us to worship in places that don't appeal to our pride or our ego or our logic. And I'm sure, I'm sure some thought, I want to go worship with the other group. Can I switch? Have, have you ever been in charge of setting up some teams for, for a project or task and you, you're dividing people up by what you think they're good at and one's like, can I be on that team over there? I don't want to do this. And I'm sure some of them are like, why am I going to the dung gate? You know, uh, there, there's, there's a, a preferred gate for most people and Paul addressed the Corinthians on this. In 1 Corinthians 4, Chapter 4, verses 8 through 13 says, Now you are already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as king without us. For we, talking about the apostles, he's separating himself, the apostles, those who have really suffered for the cause of Christ, he's separating himself from all those others that believe. And he says, have, have, For we, the apostles, have made a, uh, been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. He's talking about that because angels, you know, it says in Scripture, they're curious about our relationship with the Lord. They don't have that same kind of relationship. Uh, we, we have a, a personal relationship they're very, very intrigued by. We've been made a spectacle both to the world and, and to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. It's like King David said when he was rejoicing in his pajamas, and he got called out, right, saying, saying that, that's undignified. And he says, you think this is undignified? You just wait. I don't know where he was heading after that, but down to your pajamas, I guess it, gets, it goes downhill from there. And, and so, so it goes on. It says, we are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. Being reviled, and we, we blessed. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world in the offscoring of things until now. He's saying, look, you're not signing up to be, when you follow Christ, hardcore, you're not signing up to, to everybody give you a bunch of praises for it. We, we sometimes come to church wanting to be praised for how we've served the Lord. But that's not what the true apostles who served closer, closely with Jesus experienced. It was more like you're getting ready to just start your trials. The closer you get to the Lord, the more opposition in this natural, sinful world you're going to experience. 
the Corinthians had a gospel of self and they were full. On Mother's Day, we're gonna, the title of the message will be Unsung Heroes, the Dung Diaries. And we're going we're gonna to look at what it means to, to really be a servant of Christ. But there's value to being such a worshiper. Paul had told them, I will show him what great things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul had accepted his lot in life and rejoiced in his sufferings. Paul rejoiced when things went bad. Now, I've joked about this. There's a guy that I've uh, uh, learned to appreciate, and he's a former uh, Navy SEAL and led Team 6 at one point, uh, Jocko Willink, and he has some podcasts, and uh, his language isn't always best, so I pick and choose what I listen to. But he has this little thing, and it's his saying, he's famous in the SEAL teams for saying good to everything. Broke your leg? Good. Maybe you needed to rest a little bit. Maybe you need time off for training. We didn't get the high-speed gear we needed? Good. Now we learn how to adapt and overcome. You, you, you didn't get that promotion at work? Good. Maybe you need to learn a little more where you're at. And, and, and that's where the mindset of Paul was. Paul would have the special forces mindset of, of things are going rough? Good. This is all temporary. It just makes me stronger. You see, I've learned that, that it's great to celebrate when I got the promotion at work. I remember when Jen and I found out that Walmart told me you're getting underpaid and gave me a 34% a year increase. And we were already making our bills, so all of a sudden we had a third more money on salary, and it was just incredible. That upped my bonus, that upped everything. I mean, we are like, woohoo! And God knew pretty soon we were going to be needing to do without that plus some to pastor, and we needed a, a home. We needed a permanent home, and the excess money we were able to store up helped us get in the home we're in. Just in time before we pastor. See, see God's got figured out, but it's great to celebrate those victories and say, oh, God's good. But what about when you lose a job? Because I was on the other end of that before. Before that happened, I lost my job, and they, they fired me and said, you're never going to work at Walmart again over a misunderstanding. It wasn't until two weeks later of me out beating down doors trying to find a job with two boys in diapers, twin boys, and, and us not make, having much money, having no money, and sweating a little bit, that they called back and said, hey, we, we realized a mistake, and we're bringing you back. Everything's good. And then that was what God used to help push me up the ladder. But it was in a, it was in a time of trial that I grew the most. Not at the promotion. Is when I had to trust God that you, you've got to have this, God, because I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel that weight of the provider. I feel that weight with these boys. Huh? And they remind you of the scriptures. Did I not, did I not feed the birds of the air? Did, not, did I not clothe the grasses of the fields with beautiful flowers? Why worry about what you're going to eat or drink or wear? I got that. You worry about hearing my voice when it's time to make the decisions you need to make. You worry about me leading and guiding you. Many of us may do all we can do to avoid suffering and trials and difficulties. And again, in the United States, we, we may pray, Lord, make me to have less troubles to bear. And in many persecuted areas, they, they pray, Lord, make my back stronger to bear my troubles. So, Tony, are you picking up my drift to where, where your conversation took me? Because there's a story of Anna also in Luke 2, verse 36, where uh, she lost her husband and went through many heartaches and served the Lord. And all through that, she never lost her fervor for the Lord, never drew back in a relationship, drew closer. And it indicates that as a young child, she saw Jesus as a child and recognizing for who he was. Now, that's a significant because even the closest disciples, when he was crucified and rose again, didn't recognize him right off when he was fully 
it wasn't anymore about being partially or you know fully man and fully God. It was full on God, full on Jesus, and they didn't. They had trouble recognizing. So there's significance. We could do a whole other sermon on that. But she had lost her plans, her dreams for her future, and still hung on in the midst of dung in her face. And there's rewards of such times of praise in those hard times. If you want true words from Christ, if you want comfort, go to those who have suffered. They, they have the ability to see Christ in everything. And I hope I'm okay in this, Robin, but when, when Robin prays, because I know she's faced adversity, there is a different feeling I have from someone who has had a cakewalk and thinks, thinks that their tri- trials are bad. It's all a matter of perspective. You can go down the road and there's always someone that's had it worse, right? And we've talked about that. It's always someone that's had it worse. But that's who you run to in adversity because those people who have suffered know, know exactly how to reach the heavens and pray. Think about Paul and Silas, how they touched the Philippian jailer praising God in their sufferings when the jail doors opened and the, and the guards ready to kill himself thinking he's going to lose his head anyway. And they say, stop, we just want to praise God. We don't care about running off. And that guy and his whole household gets saved. Think about the three Hebrew children in the fire who touched the king's heart by praising God in their suffering. A king who's ordering people to worship him changes his heart because of their suffering. God hasn't called you out of where you are, but to praise him where you are. He's not going to pull you out of your trial but he will answer your prayer and you say, God, help me have the strength to make it through this. When you sit at that employment office because you lost your job, you need to understand he's the God that's gonna, that cares for you is going to carry you through. Again, it's easy to pray when, pray when everything's going well. But I watch time and time again, especially with baby Christians, the, the test is when things go rough, do you run to the church house? And it's not about the church house except for that he designed it to be built up, right? Encouraged. Do you run to the church house when the pressure's on or do you run away? Say, I got to go take care of my troubles and then I'll come back and see y'all. See, it's always opposite. I look at that and I'm like, that's why you're struggling so hard in your walk is because you've got this, you've got this paradigm shift that needs to happen over here. It says, when things go rough, I don't run away. When I've messed up, you know, uh, we've talked about this because of people we love, right, Ken? And, and, and we've talked about this, Isaac, about there's certain people we love that, that they're dealing with addictions. And we're like, I understand there's shame attached to when we mess up and sin, but I wish they could see that's not the time to run and hide. That's the time to run to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And maybe they've had experiences before where they've been, you know, judged. That's not really the right word, where they've been condemned, right? So I, I, they may have a, an understanding of that, but that's not how it's supposed to work. Paul said on the subject of it, uh, there being a heavenly reward in this, on the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker or indispensable, those of us who seem like we don't have a purpose or we're not really, you know, we're too weak. Verse 23, and, and the parts, this is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 22 through 24, and the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it. And then we see in heaven, those who are first shall be last, and those who are last shall be first. This whole idea that, that heaven will honor the unhonored. Heaven will honor the unhonored. 
And he said, these are they who have come out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7, 14-17. The reason that Paul can say, I rejoice in my sufferings, is he realizes I'm not wanting things bad to happen to me because I get something later. But he's saying, because these bad things happen to me, and I endure them for the cause of Christ, then what I have waiting for me is well worth what I'm going through here. And there's actually cultures in other countries in the church, the true church, that says when someone dies that they, they love, their family, the rest of the church comes and congratulates them. They play music and celebrate and say they believe so much in the eternal reward and being with a Heavenly Father forever that they don't just say it. It comes out. It is ground into them. There's no reason to cry. Jesus said if you don't hate your mother and father, you don't hate your brother or sister, he's not promoting hate. What he's saying in that is until you get to the point where you love him so much and you are so focused on the eternal and not on the temporal that your loved ones that go on to be the Lord, they wanted to go back when they're called to follow Jesus and say goodbye to their loved ones. And he's just saying, listen, it's still too important to you. I've got them. You serve me. I've got that. You worship me even in the trials. Don't worry about your brothers and sisters, your family. I've got that. This, this may be a little bit difficult for me to say, but I've, I've had guilt before when we've had family members, extended family that's been very sick and I've not run over to see them. And I didn't say this first service because I, I, I don't want I, I to put that pressure on my mom and dad to, to say, don't son, don't worry about that. We know you're busy. It's, it's not that, but I literally, has, God has had that conversation in, in my head with me of when I feel like I've got to make a way to get over there. And God says, you keep doing what I've called you to do, you do it, and I will take care of your family. And that is a hard one because there's so much emotion attached to that and can be guilt. You know, if in your family, if there's anything being driven by guilt in your relationships, it's broken. You cannot guilt people into love or obedience and it go anywhere good. And I'm fortunate my family, I don't have that. We have a lot of understanding, a lot of grace, and a lot of support. But there are times and seasons in your life when you'll be facing the dung of life. You'll be in the heat of it. You'll be getting hammered. And all of a sudden something else comes along. Someone all of a sudden in your family, you find out they got cancer or they're, or they're sick or anything. And, and God's got something in front of you and you, you feel this pull like, I've got to go do this, I've got to do that. And God says, you keep worshiping me, serving me in what I've called you to do and I will take care of the rest. Even at the dung gate, we can worship him. Now I want to, in, in closing, I want to tell you a couple stories here. One is about a young couple who just got married and it was back when waterbeds were like the sophisticated thing. If you had a waterbed, you had arrived. Y'all don't, y'all don't, some of the younger ones don't know. It's a, it was a big deal. It really is. I mean, those things were awful heavy, the frames and everything. I mean, it was like this big, massive thing took up all the bedroom. You're like, we got a waterbed, but we got to do this, get into the bed, right? 
And it's usually people that were broke that had the small rooms or getting the water beds, so they felt like they were wealthier and then just cramping themselves up, right? And then you get in it and then the other person gets in bed and you're like, whoop. <laughs> oh, unless you really had money, then you got the one with the baffles. See? See, bringing you back. A little. Anybody here not ever been on, laid on a water bed before? No. Oh, we're going to have to find somebody with a water bed. You're going to have to go over there and just bounce around a little, just see. <laughs> If you get seasick, it's not a good thing. But this couple, they're, they're just married, and they decided we're going to get a waterbed. We're in love, and we're going to have the best of best, and they get a waterbed. Well, the thing is, they had an older house, you know, and their water pressure wasn't good, so they decided, you know, the husband went and bought a hose to hook up to the faucet outside, maybe a little bit of pressure, and start filling it. And so they decided, we got plenty of time. As slow as this is going to be, we'll go get some Starbucks coffee. And so they leave. And they come back to water going everywhere. He had bought a soaker hose. <laughs> and he's just trot. It's like, honey, I've ruined our house. Oh, she said, honey, it's okay. You know, we were trying for a water bed and we got a water park. <laughs> it's all in how you see those trials, right? Because you can't do anything about what's already been done. All you can do is pick up and say, Lord, give me the strength to make it through this. Give me the strength to have the whole weekend sucking water out of my house. That I didn't plan on. I remember when I came in on the way to a motorcycle ministry thing early, in my early days pastoring here. And uh, it was a Saturday. I was just stopping in for some reason real quick before Sunday to check in. And then I had everybody outside on motorcycles were getting to leave. And I walk in. It's like, Psh. I found out there is a lot of low spots in here. It looks flat, but we had uh, up to two inches of water uh, up in the sanctuary. So uh, all these, this was stain-proof carpet, by the way, that we bought. Stain-proof. And we had, you can see water rings. Some of that's from the baptism, but up back there and, and all the spots. So, you know, the carpet's not old enough for it to have done that, but we had water standing there. Had to have a professional come in and get out. And so needless to say, I wasn't leaving anywhere. I had to call in volunteers, and we started trying to get water out for Sunday. And uh, so I, I, I know those feelings of, I didn't expect this. I didn't want this. It feels like I just got dung slung in my face. But I can praise Jesus anyway. The other story I want to tell you is about a missionary from Ireland. He was going to Canada to minister, working with the Iroquois Indians. And he's joined by his fiancée, who is also from Ireland. And just before the wedding, all these big plans to be missionaries and minister to these Indians, she was killed in an ice accident. And Joe buried her, the missionary buried her with his hands, his own hands and a broken heart. And in dealing with this grief and this terrible situation, facing the dung gate, he writes a letter to his mother reflecting on this, and this is what he wrote. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. That is is the goal if we can live in that mindset not just what we say but what we do that is truly in us to where when the pressure is on i've talked about that tube of toothpaste i keep bringing that up i want to get a male picture when you squeeze your toothpaste tube in the morning you expect toothpaste to come out if you squeeze that and mud comes out you'd be like well let's just change it for today's message dung comes out let's throw some smell to it right you say but what in the world who did this this is not right this is not what i expected this is just wrong. 
And we as Christians, that's what happens. Sometimes the pressure gets put on us and people expect to see Jesus coming out. <laughs> and instead, the stinky stuff comes out. And a lot of that, even for a pastor, is, is because we may push so hard trying to do things in our own strength that even though we may still have the same things to do and we may have the same time schedule, we may have the same responsibilities, everything's the same. It's just a matter of, is it by His Spirit or is it by my own strength? Who am, who am I leaning on for my strength? How do you do that in practicality? Well, listen, it's a war inside. We've been talking about spiritual warfare. When you feel like you're squeezed and getting squeezed and you're not sure Jesus is going to be coming out, then it's time to stop and say, it's like that little drive I took on Saturday. I need to connect back with the Lord because I'm starting to lose the battle. Sometimes you have to just put your day on pause and say, I've got to get with the Lord. I've got to get with the Lord. I've got to reach out to my brothers and sisters in Christ. And I've, got to, I've got to be counseled. I've got to get some, some reset in my head that the Holy Spirit can use to get me back on track. And so we're going to just take a moment as we close. In a moment, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I'm going to ask those of you, if you feel like you're facing the dung of life right now and you're worried about if you get squeezed, what's going to come out? You need the Lord's help. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand and hold it up so I can pray for you. And then before everybody looks back up, I'm going to have you lower your hand. But we're going to take a moment to pray. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Jesus, I just come to you right now, Lord. First of all, to give an opportunity before we even go there of anyone who may have either walked away from a relationship with you or has never made a commitment to follow you. If they're here this morning, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would convict their heart, Lord, and give them that opportunity, Lord, to be in right relationship with you, to be back in fellowship, to, Lord, know what it is to wake up with a song in their heart and peace that passes all understanding. If you're here this morning and you say, I need to recommit my life to Christ, I have walked away, I have drifted away, or I've never made that decision, either one, I want you to raise your hand quickly. as we keep our heads bowed and eyes closed if you're here and you say I feel like I'm facing the dung of life or, or maybe not right now but when I do I'm not really proud of how I react to that I don't, I don't believe that I'm really letting the Lord take control I'm trying to control that if that's you and you want to be prayed for just raise your hand I'm not going to have you come up forward or anything like that I just want you to amen okay just keep your hands raised to him for a moment I'm going to pray over you and you pray with me Lord, I just pray for those that are raising their hands now, Lord, all over this place, that God, right now in, in their situation, whether it's now or, Lord, whether it's every time they hit these situations where they feel like they're facing that dung gate, Lord, where, where they have a choice to either praise you, Lord, or let the frustration and, and be overwhelmed and let the enemy win, I pray right now, Lord, that you give them the strength. Strengthen them, Lord, to give them the, the foresight to be able to go to you in prayer and pause their day or whatever the situation is and let you take control. And we just thank you for this help that you're bringing right now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can put your hands down. Amen. Everyone can look up here. Thank you and God bless you.